The Moten Mailbag is brought to you by the Robert Russo Moten Museum, located in Farmville, Virginia. The Moten Museum is a civil rights museum focusing on the history of Prince Edward County between 1951 and 1964. I'm Kanan, and this is Season 2, Episode 5 of the Moten Mailbag. I'm Irene. And this is Leah. All right, guys, welcome. Okay, to get started today, we've decided to try something different for our, you know, we're gonna riff for a little bit. So today's question, do you eat breakfast before Thanksgiving dinner? For me, the answer is yes, just because my family eats really late. So if I don't eat breakfast, then I'm just not eating for a long time. Yeah. That's the point. I don't <laughs> eat. It's So you start on the day before. You start on Thanksgiving Eve on that Wednesday. And after mm, 5 o'clock p.m. maybe, you fast. You don't eat anything. Mm. And that way when you get to Thanksgiving, you have the maximum just kind of stomach capital available <laughs> to enhance all of those tasty foods. So uh, it it depends for me. Some like some Thanksgiving that didn't bother others. Like, Let's have toast and just yeah. start on metabolism and then yeah. go from there. I don't eat like a huge breakfast, no. but like something. Yeah, I eat. Wet the whistle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you got to begin with the end in mind. Oh yeah. So well, like if you drink water, like a lot of water, like expands your stomach, which mm. allows you to take in more, because that's what the hot dog competition eaters do. <laughs> oh yeah, they just dip the bun and just go, and I'm just like they just like. Oh. Yeah, it's really bizarre. Yeah. So. To well, a non-professional eater, it's really bizarre. Sort of that is normal. Yeah. Yeah. So we're getting into the questions. Yeah. It sounds good. Here right. is the first question. What happened to all the other schools that closed besides our Moton High School? Okay, so I thought about Norfolk and it closed their school system. The Norfolk 17 were 17 African American students who went to enroll. Instead of 11 of them in, the school system closed. So 10,000 white students were out of school. So it's like, well, here's the balance 10,000 versus 17. Eventually, Norfolk was forced to reopen. Um, February of 59. So then the Norfolk 17 didn't roll, but didn't have a great time there. So it's like, well, you know. To me, that's interesting just because just the black school stayed open, right? And yeah. Those 17 students could have chose to go back mm-hmm. to their black schools, but in solidarity, they decided to stay out of school with their white classmates. Um, yeah, but that's very much a cut off your nose just by your face type situation. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, like, to kind of kind of break down, yeah. like, why black students went to white schools, they had all the resources. Legally, they could attend. Why would you not go to the school with the resources? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's an interesting point because uh, I've thought a lot recently just about kind of the impact on, and I didn't intend to talk about this, but your thought made me think of it, you know, impact of kind of desegregation on, like, African-American communities and African-American mm-hmm. businesses. You know, once you could go to... You know the, the store that was owned by a white person what happened to the black stores right i think a lot with regards to prince Edward county and what mm-hmm. that looked like and how we only have like 
two black owned businesses here today and how different that was 60, 70 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I interpret this question a totally different way. I thought we were talking about the other schools, but that's okay. The other schools like in the county. So there are about 20-ish schools that closed. Um, and the schools closed in Prince Edward. Uh, but most of them was never reopened, right? One of which is right across the street, Mary Branch Elementary School, uh, many of which are kind of out in the county. Some have been torn down. Moton really is the only one that has been, besides Warsham High School, that has been kind of like preserved and kind of upkept. You know, Warsham was converted to kind of apartments. So, what? Oh, that's which kind interesting. Of, uh, yeah. It's an interesting use for a former school, but. They have maintained the auditorium, and okay. it's a yeah interesting place to live by all accounts. Hmm. Um, and then there's Moton, but every, pretty much every other building except that what's currently like the public high school. Yeah, um, yeah. But other than that, mm-hmm. like most of them are. See the thing about education, then I think I probably said this on a previous pod, but like elementary schools were decentralized, and high schools were centralized. So mm-hmm. you know, Darlington Heights had a school, Meharon had a school, Backhampton Sydney had a school, Rice had a school, Green Bay, and often. In those communities, it made sense to put those buildings close to the churches because the churches were already pretty central to, mm-hmm. to the communities. And so you have a lot of those spaces, if they're still being used, that were converted into like fellowship halls for churches and yeah. such. Oh, um, or like repat mm-hmm. places that have a repass uh, for you know, funerals and such, um, if they're still standing. But most of them are more dilapidated or torn down or, or whatever else. Hmm. Interesting. Yep. Who's got the next question? Is it me? I think it's me. Oh. Okay, guys. Were there any white people who had conflicting feelings about the school closings? The one we probably talk about the most is uh, C.G. Gordon Moss, who was a dean at Longwood College at the time, which, and at the time, dean would have been kind of equivalent to what a provost is now, so the person right below the president. And he was very kind of outspoken. He was a history faculty member and kind of the way he was, his kind of ideology was, you know, teaching these kids about the American Revolution and about the Civil War and about all this important history and, you know, and how we, you know, how important it is to stand up for your beliefs and such. And so who am I to not do that when I see injustice in my own backyard? So he very much put himself out there in that way, welcome students into his church to protest, work with Reverend Griffin to get some of these students placed in other areas, and really did everything in his power to 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 help with and, and sympathize with the movement as it was happening kind of in real time. But much to the you know, his political kind of capital sacrifice, much to his career sacrifice, he was still employed, but he never advanced uh, farther past the rank he was in. Um, and a lot of that had to do with the reason that, you know, he was working with black mm-hmm. students in Reverend Griffin. Um, he was ostracized in his church. He lost his position, which I believe he was treasurer um, in his church. So, you know, a rare example, and I'm sure there were threats, but, you know, he was not physically harmed, that to my knowledge, and he wasn't fired, which allowed him mm-hmm. to kind of keep continuing doing what he was doing. I'm sure there were more white people who had similar mindsets, but they were afraid to speak out because that was not right. the majority vocal mm-hmm. opinion. They knew they'd get backlash. Oh, absolutely. Yep. You know. Absolutely. And there's another gentleman who I think Lee is going to talk about. Yeah, so I believe John Kennedy, he was the minister at Farmville um, Presbyterian. And he was like, no, we shouldn't close the schools. Like, each child should have the opportunity to like, to learn. Mm-hmm. He ends up leaving the church because he didn't want to split the congregation. He was like, look, mm-hmm. my beliefs are my beliefs, but if y'all want to keep with this, I'm out. So he actually leaves. Another example, you know, there was a parent 
who he was like, I'm a public school man. We don't do private schools. So then he takes, his children don't attend Prince Edward Academy. So he had that dynamic as well. Yeah, it's interesting how complex some folks' kind of thoughts were about the yes. whole situation. Because even the principal at Farmville High, Principal uh, Bash, I believe was his last name, he uh, basically said no amount of money could get me to go be principal at the private school. And it was just like, you know, because he right. was mm-hmm. supportive of segregation, but he just wasn't supportive of private school. So it's just like put a lot of people in a very interesting situation. And I think it goes to show like not everybody left, like not everybody who left Prince Edward County was just because of like it was it, there was a myriad of reasons why people left Prince Edward County. Mm-hmm. Like not just because schools themselves were closing, but because it didn't support the private school, but might have also supported segregation. Mm-hmm. Basically, people are three-dimensional. Yeah. So there wasn't yeah. one, one reason for anything. Yeah. Well, and, you know, like a certain subset of people who probably, well, likely, they didn't want their kids to not have an education. You know, they're like, okay, well, maybe I support desegregation and integration, but at the end of the day, I also have to provide my kid with an education. So what am I going to do? You know, send them to the private school that's opening for all the wrong reasons or not give them an education. And and as a parent, I can imagine how that might be a hard choice to make. Right. And then, like, going off of that, if they couldn't financially leave, yeah, like, what do you do? Because some, some are like, we're out. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, for the first two years, you know, there was the, the tuition grants and waivers from the state and locally that mm-hmm. could help white families who couldn't necessarily afford it, not just poor white families, but mm-hmm. if you had five kids, right? Now right you have to cough up $250 a kid to send them to this private school. Uh, but that was only the first two years. So after that, they had a decision to make and were in a similar boat mm-hmm. if you couldn't afford to go as, as African-Americans because they weren't allowed to attend Prince Edward yeah. Academy or whatnot. So there you go. And it's also like thinking about the first question that we asked in terms of, you know, buildings still being standing, mm-hmm. how the original, you know, Prince Edward Academy buildings are still standing, mm-hmm. you know, along with all that history. And it's just not, I don't know, talked about mm-hmm. as much as it should be. If the buildings could, and I, and I think I mentioned this last time when we were talking about most interesting you've touched scene, smell, mm-hmm. yeah. the sensory question. Like, you know, the idea of what if trees could talk, like, what if buildings could talk? Like, yeah. my goodness, these buildings would have such interesting things to tell us here in yeah. the county because lots of folks met, mm-hmm. good, bad, you know. Right. I, I'd love to ask the churches, especially. Like, yes. they could talk. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. King, you know, what was it like when Martin Luther King was here? Like, mm-hmm. the NAACP lawyers? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. or, you know, go oh, to, mm-hmm. to campus and, and talk. I, I would love to, I'd be curious to see like to talk to a church and be like, what was it like having the defender of state sovereignty in me here? Like what, what on yeah. earth yeah. was, was that, you know, what was the feeling mm. like, you know, so that's Yeah. Oh, wow. So like, I never even considered how that room would have felt. Yeah. Would it be like brass pride? Would it be just anger and mm-hmm. hatred? Or would it be like, we've got this handled. Don't even worry about it. Mm. Yeah. Like, oof. Mm. Combination of the three. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's that's a lot to just think about. Mm. That's a great like critical thinking question for students in history. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. what do, what do you think the room felt like? You know, what 
what were what are the sounds? What maybe not the smells, but like what are the what you know what was what were there tension? Mm-hmm. Like what what do you think that room felt like? Yeah. What do you, what are some things you might see? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it would come down to how passionate are you mm-hmm. about yeah what's going on? Right. You know, if you're just like oh, I'm here, but like just kind right. of here, you know, or are right. you someone who's very heated about it? Someone who's like I will like. I will die for this issue. Like, you know, it's, I don't know. It's interesting. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's telling of like people's value system, like what they really, really care about oh, when yeah. breast acts. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. This isn't necessarily the most related, but I think we need to help our teachers teach U.S. history better. Yeah. And I say that yeah. because just use primary sources more mm-hmm. to, to, you know critical thinking about history as opposed to pure memorization of facts mm-hmm. and, and part of it is kind of like this is how we've always done it but mm-hmm. like we just set ourselves up to like there's a lot like with all the stuff that's being recontextualized this year alone even like yeah. with Juneteenth being recognized yeah. mm-hmm. and Columbus Day here in Virginia being switched to Indigenous Peoples Day and you know and some people are just super upset it's like look like we don't need, like, that's what happened, right? Yeah, like, it's, it's, it's objective. Yeah. yeah. Like, it, it exactly. happened. Like, yeah. the, the awful things happened. You can't discover a line that's not already there. Like, so right. this notion right. of. Yeah. I just don't, yeah. We need to empower our history and social sciences teachers to be able to teach history in a more objective, mm-hmm. in a more full way that yeah. uses primary sources mm-hmm. and yeah. teaches the, the kids how to students how to critically think about history yeah. as opposed to just remembering yeah. how to take Nina, history and move Nina forward with it yeah. well I don't even know the, the ships why yeah. the I Nina Nepenthe and Santa Maria yeah. I probably will never forget it and yeah. maybe a, a <laughs> Jeopardy question it might be useful yeah. but that's not helping me in any, in any context mm-hmm. whatsoever but I know it. I always say that I learned real history in college not to knock any of my professors or teachers or like, because mm-hmm. there's so much that you can break down. Like, could easily spend a semester just on the American Revolution. It's great, loved it. Oh yeah. But society's complex, cultural culture is constructed mm-hmm. in some aspects, mm-hmm. and then if you think about like Native people's experience, Black people's experience. Oh, yeah white people's experience Mm -hmm. and then like the idea of the immigrant experience is seen as separate from the white experience depending on where that immigrant's from right you you covered four very distinct histories all in the same space Mm -hmm. it's just not enough time to cover everything but that's why those primary sources yeah from the record people tell you what they think Mm -hmm. oh absolutely so i love a primary source oh yeah all right, I think I have the last question. Mm-hmm. So, what made the Virginia NAACP so special? Do you want to start? Yeah, I'm biased, y'all. Let's let's be clear because Oliver Hill is one of my favorites. He's very precious to me, mm-hmm. and then Spotswood Robinson mm-hmm. as well. And you know, their teacher Charles Hamilton Houston, big fan. You know, whatever one bet. Of course, I'm all about it. So I feel like, to me. The Virginia NAACP was so special because their like their legal training, their goal, the goal to dismantle Jim Crow using the legal system, 
Like it's on the law books. This is the law. We've all decided as a nation, this is what we're doing. So let's make sure it's everybody equal is actually equal. And then when they realized that equalization wasn't doing it, it wasn't going there mm-hmm. to focus on integrating spaces, but to have that training and to be willing to go out. Cause there was this incident where Hill thought he was going to be lynched. It was just like somebody's car driven off the road, but he's in a car driving towards a mob ish looking mm-hmm. experience. So it's like the dedication to do that. Cause definitely was always a concern yeah. for safety yeah yeah like what are you gonna do like you fight the good fight you know but what happens yeah. when that kind of backfires on you and like being willing to deal with the consequences mm-hmm. whatever they are yeah yeah i mean i mean the virginia NAACP was was special in the sense that of their organization stuff like they were super super organized not yeah. to imply that the other states weren't not but uh, we were very, very mobilized and, and organized mm-hmm. in Virginia. And at one point, kind of leading up into the time period um, when the state started to sis- really systemically target these lawyers and try to get them disbarred and such, I think Virginia had the most active chapters at one point in, you know, in a lot of, lot, a lot of counties mm-hmm. in Virginia. So they were super organized, super just kind of on the same page, you know, our own Reverend Griffin. Here in Farmville was the state president for for a period of time. Um, yeah, I, they just were super organized from everything I can understand, and meticulous, mm-hmm. and some of the brightest minds of an entire generation. All right, guys, do you, do you have anything else to add from this episode? I can't think of anything. No, I think this one was good. All righty, well, listeners, thank you for being with us. Mm-hmm.